0: You wanted to come to Springfield and talk about partisanship and bipartisanship, mm-hmm. and you wanted these three guys to be part of the conversation with well you.
1: The, I, I thought it was would be interesting to have have uh, some other perspectives because these these three guys I think are examples and and they 're not alone of people who I think brought uh, the right attitude and the right tone to politics uh, it doesn 't mean that we agreed on everything no. you know poor, <laughs> Kurt was in leadership in the Republican Party when yeah. I came in. And as I said in the speech, I was in the minority. And we couldn't get a lot of stuff through uh, the Republican majority. Uh, and you know, conversely, when the Democrats took over, it was tough for Republicans to get uh, their legislative priorities through. Uh, but I do think that we had an environment in which we could get to know each other uh, make friendships. I think treated people with respect, mm-hmm. and so what would happen would be every once in a while there'd be an opportunity or an opening. So with Kirk, uh, you know, we ended up working together uh, on ethics reform, and then uh, we uh, did some additional work on you know, some of the law enforcement issues that right. were important. And you know, you know, the good thing about the Democratic Caucus was we had people from the inner city, but you also had farmers like Larry, and you had folks. like Denny, who represented downstate districts. And so you had to negotiate, even within your own party, because not everybody was on the same page on everything. And, uh, And so part of the point that I wanted to make in the speech today was that that kind of politics doesn't resolve every problem, but it does make people less cynical about politics, mm-hmm. and it does allow for more progress on the issues that we care about. And my hope is is that rather than places like Springfield importing all the dysfunction of Washington <laughs> uh, and adopting the same rigid ideological positions, that it retains and maybe influences Washington in taking a more pragmatic, practical, mm-hmm. and uh, respectful approach to well, politics. Well, things actually it is, are
0: getting more polarized
2: yeah, here. It, it is spilling over, uh, Mr. President. Uh, like whenever I ran in two thousand two, I, I think I spent forty thousand dollars. My son Mike, in this last election, they spent four and a half million dollars to beat him.
1: On a, on a U.S. Senate or on a, a state, state Senate, presidency. yeah. It is state unbelievable. It yeah. is incredible. It is. That's crazy money. Yep. Yeah. That's I mean, a lot of money. When I was here. You know, I, because I came from a, uh, a fairly wealthy district along the lakefront, you know, I, I, I was able to raise, say, $100,000. And that was considered a lot of money for, yeah. Yeah, for, well, for, for, yeah. for the state yeah. senate. Right. I mean, I didn't no, spend it all, but I had it. No. But you're telling me now that on some of these races you're talking that oh, yeah. kind of money, millions oh, yeah. of dollars.
2: And it's all hidden money. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, and that's what makes it bad. If you know who you're fighting, that's one thing. But, but whenever you got to guess who you're fighting, that's another issue.
3: Yeah. But you know, one of the issues that I remember the most of uh, talking about bipartisanship in the respect of the office, uh, when Governor Ryan was having his difficulties, I'll never forget when we, he came in and to give his state of the state message, the governor's message and they're talking about indictments and everything in the paper. He got a standing ovation from the House and the Senate members when he
1: walked into the- Because it represented the the office. Absolutely. Regardless of what the- Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So this was a, this for you, I think maybe represents a less um, polarized time and place in your political career. Before you came in, these three were talking about how uh, they did not know you as a divisive figure. They knew you as a yeah. uniting figure, someone who was able to reach out across demographic lines, right. partisan lines right. to get things done. It was a surprise, I think, mm-hmm. to the people in this room that um, you've had the, the troubles that you've had with Congress. Right.
4: We, we were talking before you came in the room, Mr. President. Yeah. You know, in the presidency is an isolating position. I mean, you have the Secret Service and others who, who sort of you know, keep you under wraps. When you were here... You could go out to dinner with us you could play poker with these gentlemen you could go to dairy queen in that old beater jeep that you <laughs> used to drive um and you know you were able to move around as a regular person that clearly helped uh and uh, you know you were not a, a polarizing figure when when you were here i mean we could see the barack obama you know and you and i have something in common i always tell people in politics Christy. They should look for for things in common. He and I, when he came in and hugged me here, we each have two young daughters. Uh, or now our daughters Not are so teenagers, anymore. right? <laughs> uh, teenagers, but they daughter. were at the time. But they were. It was a common denominator. Uh, the president and I shared a tie to the University of Chicago. I represented Argonne laboratory run by the University of Chicago, right. and he was a very influential and very good member of the senate judiciary committee and yeah. we, we worked together as, a lot as lawyers law professors i learned a lot from them so i look for common denominators yeah. with an african-american progressive democrat from the city and me being obviously a caucasian suburban republican but it was those common denominators and threads that let that let us work together
0: well you were making the point earlier that it's those personal interactions that yeah. help bridge those divides and that made me wonder if as you look back on it now, that was something you might have done differently in Washington. Uh,
1: this, this is interesting. What, what Kirk says is exactly true uh, here in Springfield. The fact that we knew each other helped tremendously in terms of us being able to get things done. But what's interesting, Kirk, is it's not like I changed. Mm. I'm the same guy now that I was then. You're funnier. And, oh, I'm a little funnier in public. <laughs> I, I perform probably better, but uh, it, it, the people who know me now, and that includes you, Christy, I, I'm not appreciably different than I was then. I'm, I'm no more cynical. I'm no more uh, ideological. My positions are surprisingly consistent. I mean, if you read my first position papers or my first speeches, and you look at what I'm saying now, they're pretty much the same. And the, the challenge in Washington is not simply that we don't have as much time to socialize, although I'm sure that that has some impact. What's changed is the nature of uh, how you are perceived through the lens of talk radio, television, the pressure that individual members are under from various uh not just advocacy groups, but sort of uh, those who are policing purity within the party and so what you discovered was I would invite a number of you know Republican senators in my first couple of years to come over to the White House uh, for you know movies or some other events, and increasingly what you found was is that it was hard for them to do it without getting in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Look, Kirk was a victim of this, right? He'd said something nice about me, and he it He might be governor up, if he hadn't. And, and it punished him <clears throat> politically, which I deeply regret, but it, 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 at the time, the way our politics worked, it wasn't like he endorsed me over a Republican candidate, this was like okay. uh, a, something in a Democratic primary. And it, uh, although I've got huge differences with Chris Christie, the fact that uh, you know, I gave him a bro hug or something. Right after his state had gone through this enormous disaster, and we were trying to work together to help them, you know, those things suddenly became right. weapons to be used. And so, increasingly, what would happen, Kirk, is people would draw back. It wasn't so much that the bubble was enforcing this as it was people's perceptions. I, I had a conversation with one of the Republican leaders one time when we were talking about an issue. He'd come over to the office, but he didn't want to publicize. And he said, right. look, I'm doing a favor of just meeting with you. And, and, and you know, it, was, it was an unusually blunt characterization, but there was an, I understood what he meant, right. which is politically, it was hazardous. Uh, and, and, and that's part of what I was trying to get at in this speech, is that uh, yes, the interpersonal stuff makes a huge difference, but there are these structural barriers that are being set up, the amount of money that can be spent on negative right. ads, uh, the gerrymandering that means you don't have many swing districts right. at all. So you're always worried about a Tea Party challenge if right. you're a Republican, or you're worried about you know something catching fire you know on the Internet if you're a Democrat because you're not progressive enough on <laughs> some yep. particular yep. vote, even yep. though it's no. appropriate for your not district. But now it's a national, suddenly you might have money raining in from all across the country uh, uh, for an opponent who says, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't vote that way on the right way. And, and that, I think, more than anything is what's changed and made it more difficult.
0: It's a bit of a vicious cycle, too, though. What, you were at, what you're suggesting as policy changes that would perhaps interrupt this cycle are hard for individual Republicans or Democrats to step out on. Uh, I don't know that the people in this room would want to see, or the Democrats in this room would want to see Illinois lead the way on changing the way the political maps are drawn, <laughs> right, With, without knowing. Right? Well, Dillard uh, might be for uh, it, but that uh, without uh, knowing that Republican uh, states yeah, and, and were going to do the
2: same thing. What, what, uh, how, how do you do it? I mean, how do you select the people that are going to select the, the, the Well, the way they districts? do it, yeah, I mean, there are
1: states like California that have gone to this, and actually it works perfectly well you essentially have an independent commission of some sort. And they draw it based on you know how compact the district is, how natural it is relative to rivers or you know, so so you can do it. Um but you're right. I, I raise that as a broader point nationally, because it's true that it's very hard if, if Illinois does it, predominantly Democratic state, but Texas or right. Florida don't do it.
3: That's right. Then
1: uh, it's, a, it's a disadvantage. But I think it's useful to start the conversation because I think if we continue to have these situations where in uh, you know, 435 seats in Congress and maybe 30 of them or, or 35 of them are ever in play, well, you, you know, then you're never gonna get uh, the kind of ability to compromise on issues that are, are necessary to get things done. I think there's a perception
2: from those of us that knew you and know the system a little bit, that when you go to Washington, you don't know the person anymore. Washington takes over, and and it, it's a feeling that we have. I had. I don't know if you had it, Larry. But how do I get a hold of Brock? How do I get a hold of my, my friend? He's now the president.
1: Well, how do how do being I the, being the president is? Look, there, there's no doubt it's isolating. The, <laughs> yes, it uh, is. Although Larry, you know, the uh, you guys, you know, if you call Anita. She, she'd, she'd get you in, oh, in, yeah. in a second, but the uh, but but, but there's, she's very good. The, the, she is good. You want her number? I guess. There's, <laughs> they, they, there's no doubt that there's there's some isolation, but but what also happens is look. Um, well, he, he, here's I think what's interesting. When when I was uh, a U.S. senator, right? So I was a senator for four years. This is after I had been elected, uh, and. I'm a progressive Democrat in Illinois, but my approval ratings in this state were 70 percent. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I, had, I had the highest approval ratings of any senator in the country, certainly any senator in a big state. There might have been like Susan Collins in Maine or you know, Ken Conrad in mm-hmm. North Dakota. But, and the reason was that you know, I was not subject to all the mischaracterizations, distortions, etc., that come with you being president, and I think part of what prevents people from then knowing the person is that there's a, there are all these bugs on the windshield, essentially. <laughs> you know, there's this huge filter through which you are seen, and the same is true on the Republican side. So the, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I've gotten to know. Uh, George W. Bush quite well. Uh, I disagree with him on all kinds of stuff, obviously. But he's a good man, right? And the fact that there are a bunch of Democrats who, when he was President, would characterize him in some of the harshest terms was in part because all they could see was what they're seeing on uh, a TV that's screen true. or, or you, I mean you remember Mr. President he ran uh, saying he was a uniter
4: not a divider yeah. as the governor of Texas yes. uh, I think he had right. a lieutenant governor that was a Democrat and he may have endorsed that person. that's exactly right so kinder, you know I don't know what happens to you yeah, become yeah, president and go over the Potomac but yeah. it gets more polarized yeah. how much can I ask you oh, sure so Congress yeah. um, not to let you off the hook and I want you yeah. to stay on the the bipartisan <clears throat> theme for the remainder of your presidency right. and you parked that when you were here But um, the Congress, I mean, they share some of that blame. And if I have one suggestion for you, Mm -hmm. to your successor, whomever that may be, is that they need to talk to the leader of their own party and the other party and say, let me converse without fear with members of Congress. Let me have them over to watch a movie or to socialize with
1: them. I I think Um, it's- Congress bears some of the- I think it's a a good suggestion. Uh, I think that, as I said before, I I, I wanna make sure I, I emphasize this. There are structural problems that are, uh, that are preventing some of this from happening. Keep in mind, when I was in the Senate, in the United States Senate, I had very good relationships and friendships with some of the same people now who can't take a picture with me. Now, it wasn't like I changed, even when I got to Washington. Uh, you know, there's a guy who's now retired named uh, Tom Coburn who was probably rated one of the five most conservative members in the U.S. Senate. And he and I were very good friends, and I still call him once in a while. He's back in Oklahoma and uh, couldn't have been a a nicer man. And we worked on some issues together, uh, much as I worked with you. But what happens is that the biggest incentive of every member of Congress is to get reelected. It shouldn't be the case, but that's the overriding motivation that people have. And they're operating fearful that somehow lurking over the corner is something that's going to lead them to uh, lose. And if, within their respective parties, you reaching out across the aisle or doing bipartisan work, uh, are going to put them in a risk, a riskier situation, then they shy away from it. And over time, you start getting further and further separation. And the reason it didn't used to be that way in part in Washington was because people more often lived in Washington, they knew their kids and went to the same schools and events. But a lot of what happened uh, that changed was that the the nature of the parties changed, you know. uh, and, And to some degree, this is true in Illinois. Look, Denny and, and, and Larry, we would disagree on a lot of issues because they came from more conservative districts. And my position on uh, you know, women's reproductive issues or on guns necessarily were gonna be different from Larry or Denny, much less different from Kirk. And, in, and although by the time I arrived in Springfield, I think, uh, the Republican Party uh, was starting to narrow a little bit. There was still, there were still some liberal uh, Republicans like uh, Judy Biggert or mm-hmm. folks from some of the Kathy Parker, Kathy Parker from some of the suburban areas in and around Chicago. And what's happened is is that those folks have all been winnowed out. Mm-hmm. Right, there are no Southern Democrats anymore. There are very few uh, you know, uh, Northern, uh, m- more liberal Republicans or Rock- what used to be known as Rockefeller Republican. I mean, Jim Thompson, you know who who Kirk, uh, you, know, uh, you know trained under and uh, or Jim Edgar. Uh, th- those guys couldn't win. primary. Uh, uh, and, a, and, a, and Republican they helped me, a, uh, Mr. President.
4: I mean, the people that I worked for because I was a staffer before I became right. a member, right. you know, had a great influence on me. Right. I mean, they taught me how to be bipartisan primarily because when you're governor or president, right. you kind of get stuff
1: done. Right. And they were practical guys. But what was also true was they had room within their own party for uh, a diversity of views. I
0: want to come back and ask you about the way forward. I'd like to hear from this whole group on that. But I, I do want to a- mention a couple of things that came up in conversation, separate conversations with these two guys, about how we got to this place and how you got to this place as this polarizing or divisive figure, if you'll um, pardon the phrase. Kirk thinks that Obamacare is a lightning rod for, it, uh, for partisan fury because of the way it was passed. And I wonder what you think of that. Or well, if you, and if you the, have the, any this, thought this, of having this, done this, a
1: will different... be a, this will be a, a long history uh, that will be told. And the good thing about being president is you get to write your own book. And, uh, <laughs> um, but I have to tell you, Kirk, and I'm sure that's how it seemed from the outside. If you were on the inside, we spent eight, nine months negotiating with the Republicans. The Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, was not my first choice of uh, design. It was the result of <clears throat> our conversations with Republicans who would not abide by a single-payer plan. Right. And so we said, well, you know what? Let's take this plan that has worked really well in Massachusetts, negotiated by a Republican governor named Mitt Romney, and let's work with the Republicans to see if we can move this forward. And what happened over the course of three, four, five months is that the dynamic I just described, the de- the sense that. Uh, Those in the Republican Party who ideologically were opposed to expansion of any social welfare program started to characterize this as uh, big government and an effort to undermine individual choice and individual freedom. They poisoned the, the well within Republican constituencies so much that it became increasingly difficult for Republicans who had originally wanted to work with us on this to do anything. And I remember the last conversation I had with a Republican whose name I won't mention. Um, We had been talking for months, and we had uh, taken every idea that he had suggested, and we had said, if this doesn't work, is there another way you want to do it? And, And he just finally, Turned to me, I was sitting in the Oval Office, and he just said, "You know what, Mr. President? Uh, I got to admit, there's no change that allows me to to vote for this thing." I'm yeah, sure and that's and true.
4: The one thing that and I, I told you <coughs> this, um, you were probably not well served by Speaker Pelosi's sentence that essentially, you know, said, "You'll know what's in the bill after it's passed," and, and well, that's what, not your problem. No, no, no. Well, well, you know what,
1: speaker, No, but. I mean, I'll, here's here's what I'll here, here's what I'll say, Kirk. And and this is the the challenge that I think. Uh, as President, I've had to uh, address is, at a certain point, if and when you can't get a negotiating partner across the table who's going to agree to anything, then you have to make a decision, do I just drop it, which there were folks in my party who said politically, you know what, this is just, it's become too toxic, we're not going to do it. Or do you say, wow, I've got millions of people out there who don't have health insurance and I need to go forward? And yes, at that point, then it was just a majority muscle move. Um, And but if if you look at all the all the uh, issues that in which the perception is, I've tried, you know, I've just kind of jammed things down folks' throats. This starts with the Recovery Act. We were about to go into a Great Depression. I had been advised by my economic advisors, not just Democrats, by the way, but well-known people from previous administrations, Alan Greenspan, a whole bunch of folks, that, you know what, this thing is tanking. And we could have unemployment of 25 percent. The contraction when I came in was faster than what took place during the Great Depression. So we had to move fast. And uh, I said to Speaker Boehner, or uh, then Leader Boehner, I said, I want to come up to your caucus and talk. And as I'm driving over, uh, he puts out a press release saying we're against it. <laughs> we haven't even <laughs> talked about it yet. So, so, so then you have to make a decision, uh, all right, if, if the notion is, is that there's nothing to talk about, in the meantime, I'm looking at the weekly unemployment numbers, and we're losing 800,000 jobs a month. I just have to act. And you know, uh, on, on the other hand, you've got something like immigration reform, where we did actually do I stayed out of it so that I would not be polarizing. You had Republicans over in the Senate working with Democrats to negotiate something. Dick Durbin was involved with this. Uh, A young man named Marco Rubio was Mm -hmm. deeply involved in it. They get a bipartisan bill. It passes bipartisan vote. But then this reaction from uh, the base that had been stirred up kills it. And that's when we start taking executive action. So I I guess what my point is is that um, bipartisanship is not a virtue if we don't do anything and we just leave problems unsolved. Bipartisanship is a virtue if both sides are determined that, look, we have a problem, we may differ on how we solve it, and let's sit down and negotiate. And there's never been an issue in Washington that I haven't been willing to take a half loaf or a quarter loaf, and sometimes I've gotten attacked by the left viciously for doing so, but I think that's how you govern
0: well you touched on the idea that senator Jacobs brought up which is that you were going to hit this brick wall whatever happened before you even started working on Obamacare or yeah. the, the stimulus package that there was going to be resistance to you no matter what and I'm wondering if you think that's true and if you if you believe that idea that Republicans at the outset were uh, resolute to make you a, one ter- a one-termer and not to let you win any big ideological Wins. Do you believe that to be true?
1: Well, let me say this. I, I think it's important, uh, first of all, to say that uh, uh, there's no doubt that at every step of the way, every day that I'm in this office, I look back and I say, well, maybe I could have done that a little better. Or maybe I should have reached out to that person more effectively. Or maybe if I would framed the issue uh, better, that people would you know, come together and find common ground so mm-hmm. so, I, so I want to make clear uh, if you 're President of the United States, then it's your job to get stuff done. Whatever happens on your watch, typically uh, you know you have some influence over it, uh, so I don 't want to in any way suggest that um, there aren't areas where I couldn't have done some things differently. Um, I do think that and this is not you know my Uh, opinion, this has been advertised by some of uh, my colleagues on the other side, that there was uh, a concern that if we started building up a lot of steam early on, in light of how I had come in, that politically it would be very difficult uh, to uh, recover uh, majorities, and the job of a majority or A party leader in the Senate or in the House oftentimes is viewed as, how do we get the majority back? And one of the better strategies of doing that was to just grind things to a halt, um, including on just simple stuff like nominations, where we've sort of had an unprecedented uh, number of nominees blocked, or the use of the filibuster, where I think it's well recorded that it was used in a way that we had never seen before. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that the general public is not following the intricacies of the legislature, and they're not interested in who to, who's to blame. They just want to see stuff done, and the one guy they know uh, is the President of the United States, so if things don't get done, uh, that can advantage the politics of the other party. And I'm not suggesting the Democrats necessarily uh, uh, are blameless in, in, on on that set of calculations either. But that's part of the reason why trying to change some of these structural problems, uh, uh, rather than just focusing on the day-to-day t- issues and tactics, uh, is probably the most productive in, in getting a better politics.
2: I'd, uh, I'd been around, you know, what you know. if uh, My dad was a state rep. and then, I was there, my son's there, was there, uh, but, but, but I, I looked at it a little bit different, uh, Mr. President. I, I think they were afraid of you, more so than anybody else. Uh, it's one thing, like the George Bush or anybody else, th- they may think, well, we might su- suffer through him for two years or two terms, but I think they were actually afraid of you. They were afraid of you for a couple of reasons. Number one, you were black or half, yeah. Uh, and, and I talked to my Republican friends, and I got a lot of them, and that's all they could ever talk about, was the race card, the race. You know, he's a nice guy, he's this, he's that, but he's black. Well, get over it. You know? <laughs> I have. I know you have. I hope you have. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I hope you have. Do you think he's
1: right? I, look, I, 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 I've always said this, that, uh, I have no doubt that there are people who voted against me because of race, or, okay, or, or didn't uh, approve of my agenda because of race. I also suspect there are a bunch of people who were excited and voted for me, or I got political benefits uh, because of the notion of the first African-American President. So those things cut both ways. Um, I, I think that a lot of um, Proof that we are a lot further along than we were is I got reelected. So it'd be one thing if the first time that it was just an accident, the second time uh, I won again, and and each time, you know, I got more. Uh, I, I got more votes in consecutive terms. But I terms think that's what
2: they were afraid of, Mr. President. I, they were afraid well, of that. Well, what I what I what, I
1: what I do think is true is is that politically we came in in a strong position and. As I said, one of the things that's it's a little perverse, but if you if things are working in Washington, that's good for the incumbent. If things are not working, it's bad for the incumbent. So, although there's no doubt that there are pockets of the country where you know uh, a, some, some dog whistles blow and you know, uh, there's underlying uh, racial fears that uh, may be exploited. Overall, what's more the case, I think, is just the straight hardball politics of running against an incumbent and beating the heck out of him and softening him up, because if a whole bunch of stuff gets done, he's going to get the credit. If we had passed healthcare on a bipartisan basis, Wow, yeah, you know, people would say that that was really a tremendous thing. Now I still think it's pretty tremendous that we got 18 million people health insurance that didn't have it before. But the fact that Republicans didn't vote for it made it easier to characterize as, oh, this is just for poor people, or this is just for uh, you know uh, those folks over there. It's going to hurt you, or you know, this is uh, another welfare program, and 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 that's would have happened probably. Look, just remember, when Bill Clinton tried to pass health care and, and Hillary tried to pass health care, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they got beat up just as good and they didn't even get it, the thing done. So um, I, uh, and uh, overall, I tell you, uh, the attitudes you talk about, Denny, they're there, but they're, they're there a lot less with young people. And and each each successive generation uh, ends up having a different attitude. And look, you you know, you got a whole generation of kids who are growing up where the only president they've known is, where the first president they've known is an African American. And and that means even if they're hearing their parents say he's terrible, um, it kind of seeps in that it's not a crazy thing. So that sometime later, there's a Hispanic or a a woman or another African American, that won't seem as exceptional, and these things happen, they'll change over time.
0: Is it possible for you before the end of your term, the end of your presidency, to become that figure you were in 2004, those ideas that you outlined about we're not as divided as our politics suggest, can you do you, really, do you believe there are things that you can do to bring that about before the t- end of your presidency? Or do you think you're more paving the way for the next president?
1: Yeah, my hope is, is that uh, I help create a tone uh, for the next president. I, I suspect that uh, uh, when I'm, done being President, suddenly people start saying, oh, you know, that guy, he wasn't a bad guy. <laughs> because you're not okay. subject to the daily uh, pummeling uh, that you are when you're, you know, uh, you have the incredible privilege of being in office. And I think that's okay. As I, uh, that was the other point that I wanted to make in this, uh, the speech of the Capitol is a lot of this, this is not new. Uh, uh, you, you look at what they said about Lincoln, you look yeah. at what they said about, Jefferson, you know, some of our most revered presidential uh, presidents were hugely polarizing, and people custom and called them everything but a child of God. Poor Truman, or yeah, you look at Truman. Uh, it it it, uh, it it comes with the territory. Uh, so I'm less worried about me. I do want to make sure that it does not discourage people. From voting, I want to make sure that it doesn't make young people, whether they're Republican or Democrat, cynical about the process. Uh, I, I meant what I said. I uh, that uh, I want the system overall to be healthy, noisy, uh, full of arguments, but basically healthy, as opposed to cynical and people withdrawing from the process and, and not, uh, you know, game to. Uh, tackle the big challenges that are going to be coming up because those challenges aren't going to go away.
0: Can I ask you just one specific question about your idea about uh, tackling the gerrymandering problem after the next census? Doesn't that sort of have to be a national movement in order for it to really work?
1: I think so, and I started I'm hoping to start a national conversation about
0: it. Are you talking about, do you think a an amendment to the Constitution is an order, or is it more a?
1: I, I, I think we could, you know, if, if, if enough people around the country start thinking this is a good idea, it can it can potentially happen. Now, a what is,
0: what, what, what is
1: what is No, not a, not a constitutional amendment, but state by state. State by state. Um, uh, neither party is going to unilaterally disarm. This is always the problem that we have. Uh, Larry, yeah, that's true. Danny, Kirk, they all know. Uh, even if you think something's wrong, you, know, you putting your sidearm down while the other guy's still packing uh, is tough. And, uh, and so there will have to be some concerted movement, but that's typically been how change happens. Uh, grassroots movements, the progressive era, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, when he came in, uh, and, and tried to take stuff that had already been happening state by state, and suddenly it became a national movement, and uh, uh, people started saying, yeah, that makes sense to us. Uh, my hope is is that this is uh, a small example of a change that could uh, make a real difference. Not, it's not going to solve everything, but it could make a difference. Is the same the thing as with encouraging more people to vote. Your comments
3: today on early voting uh, that uh, we passed a number of years ago, uh, yeah. and um, yeah, I think personally that um, the Republicans were you know, somewhat hesitant in in supporting it, and but in in my area, I believe that the Republicans basically have taken the advantage of the early voting uh, senior citizens, yeah. in that, uh, and that and so it's something that they grow into, right. and they say, "By God, I like this," you know. <laughs>
4: Absolutely, and, you know, early voting, Larry. At least for, for my party in the area that I represent, yeah. represented in the suburbs, if people are for the March primary in Illinois, or if they're living or semi-retired in Naples, Florida, yep. or in Scottsdale, it makes it much easier Absolutely. for them to vote, yeah. and that clearly helps. helps. I don't think it's a bipartisan yeah. problem. I mean, you just need to make
1: sure there's no fraud, and you do it.
3: And and the fraud is always always mentioned, but it's minuscule. Yeah. It's
1: minuscule. So. There, there are, there are ways of safeguarding, it. there are states yeah, that are doing it well. But absolutely. you know, the uh, we, we we just have to remind ourselves that of all the major democracies, we have some of the lowest voting rates, mm-hmm. and we take pride in our democracy. We we consider ourselves Exhibit A of exactly democracy, right. and right, rightfully so. We we are have the the, the longest continuous democracy in the world. Um, well, we can't. We can't be discouraging people from participating in that process. And, and the point you made, Larry, is, is exactly right, which is you never know where you're going to stand at some point. Uh, you know, uh, these guys all remember. You guys were all here. Kirk was in leadership, and, and uh, uh, because of a piece of paper pulled out of a hat, you know, a few months later we were in, you know, we were in control of The Senate Democrats were, and so understanding that things can change fast, it's in everybody's interest to set things up so they're fair, <laughs> so that the minority is protected, so that uh, if you know you're you're not the one drawing the map, that you're not uh, suddenly uh, you know getting fewer seats than you deserve, because you don't know what your position is going to be somewhere down the road, and. Uh, Uh, And that's hard for parties to do because the imperative at any given moment for the leaders of those parties or for uh, uh, the individual elected official is, I I just got to win. And uh, one of the luxuries, I suppose, of not being on the ballot is, and never being on the ballot again, uh, is to be able to step back from it and say, If we're going to design a system that works for everybody, not knowing what position you're in right now, what's fair? You mentioned a concerted
0: movement. Is that the kind of thing you see yourself doing after you're no longer in office?
1: Well, the first thing I'm going to do is, is, uh, I'm I'm probably going to take some time off, spend uh, the summer maybe traveling around visiting Larry up where he is and going out <laughs> to the quads and the... Uh, you ride
2: down to Mississippi.
1: Absolutely. The, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, nothing like traveling around Illinois to get a sense of the country, right. you know.
3: Come out to see me when I was combine and you can get up on one of them machines. Well, I, I, I was on
1: those machines. I never knew what the heck I was doing, but I didn't break any of them. As far as you know. As far as I know. I was smart enough not to pull any levers. Uh-huh. I just had to put my seat head on Seed and, head on and right I'd, right I'd right smile and wave and, and then I'd get off. <laughs> I'll let you run them. I'll let you run them. But buddy. that was dangerous,
2: putting the seat hat on because what's yeah
1: head wasn't. Well, you know, the you did have to be gotta careful! Be careful about, what color which combine? Hat, which hat, which hat you're wearing. <laughs> a, red, a red tractor or green? Yeah, red combine green tractor. Well, this red sounds combine.
3: like
0: you're moving back
1: to Illinois. Well, right? you know, I'll, I'll certainly be spending time here. But I, I do want to say, just you know, because I know we got to wrap up, that you know, the three gentlemen here, you know, they, they uh, took their job seriously, uh, were good public servants, and uh, always treated everybody with respect. And and. I have not only a, a real sense of friendship to them, but I think they are good examples of uh, the responsibilities each of us have in this process. Um, it's hard, and the trend lines are different uh, for folks I think who are running an office today and certainly at the national level but it's it's possible, and it requires a certain amount of courage to just say, You know what uh, I'm going to do things' the way my mom and dad taught me to do things and treat people the way I've learned in church I'm supposed to treat people. And if you do that, then you're usually gonna I turn out okay. I think you're absolutely
3: correct, right. Mr. President. And and I think that we looked at that when we were all together that this person worked just as hard to get an Illinois State Senate seat as I worked right. to get a State Senate seat. Right. And, and I think that that respect right. Of that is why we had the camaraderie, and 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 the willpower to want to make that that to succeed, right? And 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 we wanted to have our. Our, our terms down there be um, looked back as as being successful I'm
2: right. playing again Sam's help do that
3: yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: wasn't here <laughs> keep
4: delivering elements of your your great speech here in Springfield yes. uh, throughout the remainder of your presidency. First,
1: now the one thing I uh, last thing I should say is uh, uh, I especially want to thank uh, Larry and Denny I, I can't thank Kirk for this um, but but these two contributed to the early college fund for Malia and Sasha through <laughs> <laughs> our poker games. That. I, I saw I saw I saw Tommy Walsh, uh, <laughs> one of the Republicans uh, who played, and yeah. uh, Dave Luchtenfeld, and and those guys contributed <laughs> as well. But but uh, you mm-hmm. know Malia and Sasha, they got a, a, a good seed fund for their. Uh, for their college because these guys I, I I took them for all they were worth. I yeah, asked Denny
4: in the uh, in the motorcade over here, Mr. President. I said, Do you think he still carries the President carry cash?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, oh, there's we, there's a extra we, we could get a now oh, wow. part, part part I, of the, got, a deck, I really <laughs> got a deck. Part part of, part of the secret of, of, of beating these guys though uh, is I would just nurse my beer, yeah. and these guys, you know, so <laughs> the longer the game went on. The looser, they're better guys. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Don't, I don't yeah, get that telling too many
3: stories here. Good, <laughs> good, it. True. True. good to see you get, guys. We Thank get bit back man. up too.
4: Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks so much, It was great. It's great to be with. You.